0: This episode of the Impact Makers podcast is sponsored by Workplace from Meta. Everybody's talking about the metaverse these days, but Workplace from Meta is different. I mean, the clue's in the name, right? Workplace is a business communication tool that uses features like instant messaging and video calls to help people share information. Think Facebook before your company. It's part of Meta's vision for the future of work, a future in which your job isn't just something you do, but something you experience a future in which we'll all feel more present, connected, and productive. Start your journey into the future of work at workplace.com forward slash future.
1: Do you want to be a leader who gets noticed, gets things done, and gets real results? Then you need influence and authority. Join host Jennifer McClure to learn how to build authority, expand your influence, and increase your impact. This is the Impact Makers
0: Podcast with Jennifer McClure. Hey there, Impact Makers. One of my favorite things about attending conferences and events in person, and yes, sometimes virtually too, is the many opportunities to meet new people. Whether there are hundreds or thousands in attendance, it's easy to strike up a conversation with the person next to you while waiting for a session to start, while walking the hallways, or while waiting in line to snag a cool piece of swag from a vendor in the expo hall that you'll probably never touch again. That's how I met Chris Villanueva, who is the CEO and co-founder of Let's Eat Grandma, an online resume service that helps professionals rebrand themselves to land interviews for their dream jobs. Recently ranked by The Balance as the best resume service of 2022, Let's Eat Grandma helps people during one of the most stressful areas of life the job hunt and they've assisted over 7000 paying clients with their resumes and hundreds of thousands more through their blog and the career warrior podcast. Chris and I connected recently at the Sherman Annual Conference in New Orleans. We both sat up front for the early morning session and I introduced myself to him. When he told me the name of his company, I was certainly intrigued and we struck up a conversation. That's how networking works, folks, even for us introverts. Since I was also speaking later at the event, I may have twisted Chris's arm a little bit to get him to come to my session. And to his credit, he actually did come and set up front once again. Following the conference, he invited me to be a guest on the Career Warrior podcast, which he hosts. And we had a great chat about networking, relationship building, and how the changing world of work impacts both job seekers and people leaders. After sharing our conversation on episode number 274 of the Career Warrior podcast, Chris and his team have graciously allowed me to share it with you here today. So sit back and get ready for the best advice I've got for you to position yourself for the job you want, at least in 2022.
1: Jennifer, thanks so much for joining us on the show.
0: Well, thank you for having me. I can't help but sit here with a smile on my face that I'm on the Let's Eat Grandma podcast. (laughs) Never, never imagined that that would be my career trajectory, but here I am.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know, and I never thought I would be a part or start a company called Let's Eat Grandma. And so these are the things that you don't think about when you are in college planning out your majors. But it's funny where life takes you. That's true. So First of all, I just want to thank you for coming on the show and for listeners right now, Jennifer and I have a really fun story in that I met her at the Sherm conference this year and it was seven o'clock in the morning and I had not had my cup of coffee. Jennifer introduced herself to me and she was like, you know what? I'm also a speaker here. I was blown away when I actually attended her talk and just got so many key insights. So Jennifer, it's serendipitous that you're here on this podcast and thank you so much for shaking my hand that day, I'll say. As a
0: speaker, you got to recruit one audience member at a time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So I'd love to open up just generally here and talk about the future of work and the future of HR. So I think that there are a lot of things going on in the world right now, and it seems like every month that something new is happening. But I think generally when we look back at this time over like the last few years, we'll think of things like inflation, layoffs, remote work, and those types of buzzwords that we constantly are hearing in the news. So I just open up this episode and just ask, what are your thoughts about what is going on right now with the labor market and where are we headed? So what are some considerations about the future of work and things that HR and job seekers alike really should be thinking about?
0: Sure. I think it's a confusing time in the world of work, at least for the people who, like myself, are kind of always looking for what are the trends and what do we need to kind of be talking about? Because there's, you know, since early 2020, we've been through a global pandemic and a lot of trauma and crisis and changes related to that. And now we've been in this last like year, year and a half type period where everyone's talking about the great resignation and, you know, low unemployment numbers and this huge competition for talent. But then the next day you'll see all these notices about layoffs at leading companies and, you know, people that are now Available for work, so I think it's confusing. I follow several economists on Twitter to try to keep up when they do all of their tweets about the monthly jobs reports, etc. And I find even today, I was like, I go, "Yay, the economy's getting better," and then the next day, somebody tweets something, I'm like, "No, no, it's not." So <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: confusing.
0: So I think for job seekers, people in the workforce, and even those that are, you know, looking at what's happening in the workforce. It's a really good metaphor or a good reminder that I think the future of work is just going to be constantly changing, evolving. I said earlier this week, I think on a podcast that I don't know that we'll ever get back to a time period where people are kind of like, okay, either it's high unemployment and you can get good talent pretty easily, or it's low unemployment and you can be with everybody else kind of competing in the fray, but it's a challenge and it will be.
1: Right. Absolutely. And I look a lot at just the competition that we have for for job seekers when we're companies, when we're looking to find the right talent. It seems like things have shifted into a we'll call like a job seekers market. What a lot of people are saying here where, you know, it seems like job seekers have a little bit of the edge in the power when it comes to negotiating and looking for these jobs. Yet at the same time, we're still seeing people getting laid off. I don't know if you've seen this too, but you know there are people who come to our company who are looking to apply for jobs and they're still having a tough time finding the right job and getting employment, at least at the companies they want. So I'll ask just what do you see that HR leaders are focusing on that may be different from the past? And if you have any commentary on any of that.
0: Yeah, I think HR leaders are tired. They're exhausted and they're not alone. lot of other people are as well. So, you know, if they are leading the recruitment function or they're working to get talent in the organization, there probably is some of the, um, bodies and seats kind of mentality going on, Fill the positions, you know, people are applying, get the jobs filled, move on to the next. And I think the smart, and all HR leaders are smart, but I mean, the ones who are truly thinking strategically though are reminding themselves that even though there is a tough competition for talent out there, it's still important to make good hiring decisions on both sides of the equation. You know, both that the company gets the person with the skills and the talents that they need to do the job, but also that the person is the right fit for the job. You know, we're seeing a lot of that now with people who have made job switches or who maybe have taken a job that wasn't their ideal, or maybe they're underemployed because they were in the mindset of, I just need to get something after the pandemic to have some stability in my life. So there's a lot of kind of dissatisfaction out there, I think, on maybe both sides of the equation because we haven't done the hard work to make sure that not only am I applying for positions that I believe I have the skills and abilities to do or to learn, and I'm a good fit with the culture of the company, even though that can be problematic, but the same on the company side that we're making sure that we're hiring people that when I say long term, we'll be here long term. I'm not thinking 25, 30 years, but that we'll be here for at least enough time to get effective in the job, to learn something, to progress in their career.
1: Right, exactly. So looking ahead to the future, what skills should job seekers and, you know, specifically those rising professionals and leaders, what should those folks be learning today in order to keep up with the future of work?
0: The world is your oyster. If you're looking to figure out what skills that you need to develop, certainly the soft skills are going to be more important, I think, in the future of work than ever before, because many of us will be working remotely or in hybrid situations. And so the ability to communicate effectively, to listen and care for and have empathy for others is important. So those soft skills are often hard, though, to demonstrate in terms of a qualification for a job. But how can you show that, you know, whether that's taking volunteer positions or, you know, leadership positions in organizations so that you can demonstrate leadership? that you have opportunities to present your ideas, whether that's going to something like Toastmasters or again, being in a leadership role where you're having to sell your ideas to others. Those are the things that you can talk about in an interview or even show on your resume to show that you have those soft skills. It's funny, you'll see surveys from you know HR leaders or employers about what are the desired skills for talent in the future. And they say things like ability to work as a team and communication skills. <laughs> But then they're not measuring that in the interview. Right. So I don't know, right, you know, right, this right. desire to have it. We're not trying yeah. to identify how to get it. So if you're the job seeker, do the work to do that. Certainly any technical skills are going to be valuable, not just in the STEM career fields. You know, we're all using technology now. So the more that you can learn about technical skills, data analysis, predictive analytics, Any of those skills are going to be helpful, I think, in most any job that you have. I look back again, I started as a professional speaker 12 years ago, talking in some ways about the future of work, although we weren't calling it that. And I have many a presentation with slides about robots taking jobs. And, you know, don't be worried about that. Let's look at today. You know, the robots have taken a lot of jobs, but we still need people. And we will always need people because... Yes, the AI and the robots can do a lot of the data crunching, et cetera, but it still takes humans to analyze that data and then make decisions. You know, the robots can recommend things, but humans are still needed. And we need more robots now (laughs) because we have a lot of jobs that can be automated. So think about skills that will keep you relevant, even as you are continuously learning in the future, which we will all have to do.
1: And I'm so glad you said what you did in the beginning, which is that communication is that it's such an important universal skill that you need for any job. And I found even in my own career that communication is the thing that moves things forward and it's needed everywhere. It doesn't matter what you do. And I always laugh with our team because communication is one of the really, or like things like the soft skills, like being a good team player or being able to communicate well, that's tough to show in your resume. You can't just say I'm a team player because these these are the types of things that everyone else puts and it doesn't really show anything. But I do think the interview is a good opportunity to show that. And there are some other ways you can illustrate that as a job seeker. And the other thing that I joke about is that this idea of being able to communicate well virtually or through zoom or meets teams, whatever it is, is a skill that I never would have expected to need to learn. I think not even like five years ago. So I would actually like to transition this into the topic of remote work. Everyone knows that we've made this huge dynamic shift to either remote or half remote. And it seems like we're almost in this honeymoon phase to where everyone is enjoying working it, but we're starting to see some pressure now From companies to ask their employees to come back to work. And I saw on my LinkedIn feed that Malcolm Gladwell actually had posted something along the lines of saying that it's not your best interest to work from home. He says, I know it's a hassle to come into the office, but if you're just sitting in your pajamas in your bedroom, is that the work life you want to live? And he had a lot of angry reactions and some people were chiming in and they really felt it but I want to hear your take on this. Are employees feeling the pressure to come back and what should people be looking out for during this transition time?
0: Yeah, I love it when people like Malcolm Gladwell put their thoughts out there in the world for people to throw rocks at them. You know, he got a lot of comments about being a privileged white male and saying that. And I think some of that's justified, but I also think there is some truth to everything we disagree with. There's often some truth. And I am of a certain generation, probably same age or similar to Malcolm Godwell. I bet he's younger than me, even though he looks older. <laughs> <laughs> I should look that up. Um, <laughs> so I realize I'm also coming from a, you know my own experience and trying to equate that to what everyone else should do. I think there's certainly some challenges on both sides, again, of the equation. For the employee, I do think there. are is the possibility to miss that relationship building ability that you had in the in-office experience, the ability to be mentored, whether formally or informally, to watch someone else, to see how they handle themselves in meetings, to learn from other people in the organization, to have those hallway conversations, the conversations after the meeting is over. Those are important. Now, the argument against that is that that's favoritism and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And there is some of that. So I'll acknowledge that. So there's the danger that it will be harder for people to get seen, to get noticed, to get opportunities. If already women and underrepresented groups were not getting the same opportunities for mentorship and career development in organizations as white males, How is that going to get better in a virtual environment where we don't have as many opportunities to put those people in positions where they can get those things? On the flip side of that, Mm. it is the world that we live in now. So I and Malcolm Gladwell and others, I think, have to start thinking differently about how we manage and lead people at work. So if it's probably more difficult for people to build those relationships, to get the mentorship, to get the things that we benefited from by being in person in a workplace, then how can we as leaders restructure work? You know, whether that is more frequent zoom communications or making sure that I'm checking in with my people, I'm assigning them mentors. We have to be much more intentional about replacing some of those things that happened by chance in the in-person work experience and not use it as an excuse to say, everyone has to come back into the office because that's the way it's always been done. If it's working productivity-wise, people are hitting their goals. They're also getting to have a life outside of work and have more flexibility to be with their families, to pursue their hobbies, which ultimately should make them, I would think, more productive in their work. If those things are happening, then our goal should be to figure out how to facilitate that for everyone. So I think there's work to be done on both sides. If you're the employee- You've got to figure out how to get noticed to move your career ahead, to make sure that you're getting the interactions and the relationships that you need. If you're the leader, you've got to figure out how to provide that to your people.
1: Right. Thank you so much for saying that. And that's probably one of the best takes I've heard on remote work and how people should be thinking of things because I think a lot of it is very surface level. You know, I look at the LinkedIn comments to what people were saying about Malcolm Gladwell. And it was very surface level, I think. And on the flip side, it's the same thing. Yeah, you, know, you hear employees you know, saying things like, I think everyone should come back from work or taking these strong opinions. But it is a two-way street, exactly like you're saying. And people need to examine it, I think, 360 to know what the best possible solution is going forward. So I love that.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I saw on the news last night, just an aside, They were doing a hit about, you know, the shortage of teachers and that some of the uh, school systems have gone to a four day school week because of the shortage of teachers. And they were talking to this Mm. mom afterward, you know, and she's like, I love it. We can spend more time together as a family and do fun things. I'm like, she doesn't work. What what is happening? (laughs) You know, when everybody's saying this is a great time for people, you know, that was the reason why you get to spend more time with your family. I'm like, does this mean the family is also on a four-day work week? So, you know, I think we have to, we always need to look at things and that's where again, empathy and thinking about your privilege and thinking about, you know, putting yourself in the positions of others, asking people, is this actually working for everyone or do I just think it's a great idea because it works for me?
1: Right, exactly. And so, I feel like we've really flipped this on its head. I mean, it seemed like revisiting this book that I read a long time ago. It's like the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss, which Mm -hmm. he proposed the idea of working virtually. And it was this radical thing almost to be able to go to your boss and say, Hey, can I work remotely like one day? And how much has changed really over like the last couple of years now? But I think employees are feeling some of that pressure to come back. And I would ask you it's like if, as a job seeker, I see a company that is requiring me to come into work for you know, four days, five days a week, should I be at least a little bit more open to it? Or should I try to negotiate and say, hey, is there a way that I could work a little bit more remotely versus what you're offering me? I think that's a question I get a lot from job seekers and people just want to know, like, how flexible should I be moving forward? It's a good question. I
0: think you have to look at what the company is advertising as the opportunity and say, is that what I want? You know, if it's eighty percent of what I want, do I go in and negotiate for the other twenty percent? Depends on what kind of position that you're in. If you have leverage, I mean if you have the skills and talent that is rare and, you know, desired by the company, it's possible that you could likely, you know, negotiate some pieces of your job offer, but there may be some bitterness, you know, if that's what they said they wanted. You know, you do see a lot of people saying, well, I want to see if I can negotiate work, remote work. But I also talked to a lot of business owners, especially small business owners, who they're very frustrated because they're very clear in their job requirements. Like, you know, one I talked to was they assemble, you know, uh, conference booth materials, you know, so it's manual work in a factory assembly, and they clearly put on their job postings, this is not a remote work opportunity. And she said, I'm so frustrated because 90% of the people that we interview want to work remotely. Yes. <laughs> now, that's where, again, I think you have to say, have they been clear what the opportunity is? Is this their culture? If you want to go work at JP Morgan, it's not going to really work out for you if you're trying to negotiate remote work. Their CEO has been very clear. He wants people back in the office. If you work at Apple and you're that software developer that everybody in Silicon Valley is trying to recruit, maybe. You know, you can say, hey, take it or leave it. You get me or not. So I think it depends about your leverage. But I just be really clear when I'm looking for a job, be clear on what the opportunity is, determine if that's what I want, make a decision if this fits what I want. It's like, you know, we got to do the inevitable comparison to dating and to marriage, right? (laughs) Don't marry someone thinking you're going to change them into what you want them to be marry the right. person that they are today if that makes you happy. If that person doesn't make you happy then that's probably not a wise decision. I think it's the same for job opportunities. If you're accepting a role saying, you know, I'm going to come in, I'm going to do a really good job for 3 or 4 months and then I'm going to ask my <laughs> boss if I can work remotely and he or she says no, who's to blame for that? Not them. You'll resent them and they'll resent you for asking. So now we've got, you know, a muddy water situation.
1: <laughs> right. I love that and I love the dating analogy and I'll continue the dating analogy and talk about how commonly people, when they're looking to find their future spouse, they'll go pick up an app, they'll go on you know Tinder bumble, those things like that, and look to find that ideal person. Now for a job, we hear kind of similar things that people are looking to network to find their dream job online. And again, continuing with this remote theme, it's really hard to establish connections when we are online behind a screen and connecting with people. And in so many ways it's the norm. It's how a lot of people are applying. So I wanted to hear a little bit about your advice on how to properly network your way into the ideal job scenario, because it's really tough, I think, to meet people in person now more than ever.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the challenges the last few years, especially in post-pandemic. We're not post-pandemic, whatever this is, endemic, ongoing, (laughs) Yes, (laughs) the reluctance of people to connect more and more if they don't know you and or to meet you to have those, what do we call them? Networking meetings, I guess. You know, everybody gets invited out for coffee, even though I don't drink coffee and people still invite me to coffee. So I think that's a challenge that, again, just like I was saying earlier, leaders have to think differently about how to help people continue with their career growth and development in a remote and hybrid situation. We have to think differently about relationships and connecting. Some of the principles that have always been helpful in that regard, though, I think are still applicable here. Don't just invite someone to connect on LinkedIn and then when they you know, hopefully connect with you. Send them a message saying, hey, will you be my mentor? Or I'm looking for a job at your company. Can you introduce me to the hiring manager? You've put nothing into that relationship. You've built no value. So find ways that first do your research. Who do you really need to be connected with? Your network doesn't need to be 2000 connections on LinkedIn. I mean, you can have that many, but in terms of the people that you pay attention to, that you are trying to grow a relationship with, pick five to 10 some smaller number, then really invest your time in learning about those people. If you do follow them on LinkedIn, of course, you can follow people without connecting them. If they are a thought leader that's speaking at events or has a YouTube channel or even on other social media, then find ways to learn from them for a period of time and then respond to what they're putting out there. You know, thank them for sharing comment on their LinkedIn posts, add to the conversation. Don't just comment and say, great post. Thanks for sharing. Want to connect with you. Can we have coffee? Um, (laughs) You know, (laughs) respond respond and say, I really liked when you said this, it made me think about that. Or have you ever considered this? Or here's a resource that you might find helpful while you're thinking about this situation. Find ways so that they're regularly seeing you as a person who adds value to them. You know, regardless if they're, you know, a CEO and you're an entry level employee, you can add value because you're seeing and learning things that can also benefit them. Find ways to get noticed before you ever ask for anything. Give, right. give, give, give. What's Gary Vaynerchuk's book? Jab, 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 right hook. So that's jab, jab, yep. jab. Three jabs before you right hook. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Do a lot of giving. Invest in the person. Show them that you're learning from them, and then find ways to, you know, see if you can actually do more connection to learn from them. And again, I think that applies even for introductions into companies. When LinkedIn first started, I was on on the, there in the beginning, and the whole purpose was you could have a network of 100 people that you're connected with. You could see who they were connected with, and then you could ask them for an introduction because everybody knew everybody. Well, now I have almost 30,000 connections on LinkedIn. So if you send me an in message that says, Hey, number one, I don't know you more than likely. <laughs> hey, Jennifer, I see you're connected to XYZ hiring manager at ABC company. Would you mind introducing me? That's never going to happen. I don't know you, I don't know the person you're asking. You didn't do any research you know, you don't know that it's I know them, but cold. your ass, yeah. yeah. So don't do Don't ever do that.
1: Okay. I love that. And it takes a whole mentality shift to go from that. How can I take and how could I, you know, get that job or get that interview? And you're just thinking about yourself versus how can I offer value first? And I think it's a really powerful mentality switch that not only makes you more effective when you're seeking a job, but it also just makes the rejection a little bit easier to bear in a way as you could kind of, let that ego down a little bit and just come from the perspective. I'm trying to help people. I'm trying to offer value to the world. So Mm -hmm. I think that's really good advice and I don't think it can be said enough. So thank you for that.
0: It's also important. If you do get the time or the uh, attention of someone that you want to build a relationship with or that you admire, be grateful, let them know that you appreciate that. I can't tell you long before, you know, we entered the, the post, pre-pandemic phase or whatever. I mean, for years when I was an executive recruiter, even in HR, if I took the time to send someone a very detailed reply to their question out of the blue, or I did make a referral or offered them support in some way, I'd say 70% of the time people don't even reply. And that's so frustrating. Maybe I am looking for pats on the back, but if I took the time to really address your question to me, then tell me, Thank you. Since I think you and I chatted a couple of weeks ago about, you know, I had someone message me on LinkedIn who we just connected. So I don't know her. Um, And she asked, she said, would you be willing to coach me? And she was an HR person. And so I took the time. I took probably half an hour to go to a friend of mine's website, Julie Turney, who does specifically HR coaching both individually and with cohorts. And she has some online learning opportunities and a lot of great resources. I linked to all of those. I recommended Julie. I offered to connect her. And she replied back to me and she said, I don't need an HR coach. I was like, well- I don't know what you want from me then. <laughs> what is it that you, you you asked me to coach you when you didn't even ask what kind of coaching I do?
1: <laughs> right, right, right. Gosh, yeah, people need to do the research and that's incredible. I can't believe that happened. And that's a good reminder. I'm going to ask you in a second how not to annoy your HR manager. I think that's don't a fun that. one that people need to hear. <laughs> <laughs> but just career change, I think, is a big thing that a lot of people are dealing with. It's like. I majored in hospitality and I'm looking around at all my cohorts who graduated with me 10 years ago. And it seems like none of them are doing hospitality anymore. And I worked as a restaurant manager, you know, for several years and then transitioned to a resume writing business with the name Let's Eat Grandma. It seems like a complete 180. That is that is (laughs) it just doesn't make sense. But when I look at my career. you know, I never would have planned to be doing what I do on a daily basis. I love every moment of it. I think this is exactly where I need to be. But I never would have planned it, I think. And I think that's where a lot of people are, especially now more than ever, um, with people deciding, like, I don't want to do this thing anymore. I'd rather move on over to something that I'm much more interested in and something that I think I would do a better job at. But that's also really hard to do because we often feel stuck in whatever position or job that we're doing right now. It's like I still get requests to this day for restaurant manager jobs on LinkedIn. I'm still (laughs) getting pushed that in. And so we're almost sucked into doing what we've been doing in the past. So I'll ask, what are some considerations for career changers if people really feel strongly about making that next move and that step forward in another job or even another industry?
0: I recommend a really good experiment. When I started my podcast a few years ago, I wanted to have interesting conversations with interesting people. And I know a lot of interesting people. So I invited my friends to be my guests in the beginning. And I almost thought at one point, I need to chart this because we'd start talking about their early career and how they ended up in HR recruiting or wherever they were today. Zero of them were working in what they had a degree in. And it was always an interesting story, both how they realized that what they had gone to school for was not what they wanted to do and how they kind of evolved into what they were today. And almost all of them, and you know, whether it's my friends or, or people you know, you start realizing what you really enjoy and hopefully you can pursue that. And don't get involved in the sunk costs of, well, I got a law degree, so I guess I have to be a lawyer, even though I hate my life and I'm only 28 years old. No, don't do that. Where can those skills be applied? So I would say talk to 10 of the most successful people that you know. Ask them what they went to school for. Ask them what they're doing today and then ask them to tell you the journey about how that happened, that they're likely not doing what they went to school for. It's no different than when I decided I wanted to potentially start my own business. I was working with a coach. He said, I want you to go out and back then we could get people to meet with us in person for the cup of coffee. And he said, I want you to go out and just spend a couple of months meeting with people. And he said, ideally meet with people who have started their own business, ask them how that happened. I learned so much in those conversations, you know, what were you doing? When did you decide to start your own business? How did you make that transition? It gave me so many helpful things that I could think about doing or not doing in my own journey. So all that being said, you know, with a lot of people who are either finding out that what they thought they wanted to be isn't what they want to be. And I always say that's probably going to happen multiple times. You know, I've stayed in the same lane, I guess, but I mean, I've gone from an HR manager, department of one, to an HR executive, to an executive recruiter, which I never would have thought I would do. I hated recruiters. But through those networking meetings, so many of those smart people told me, Jennifer, you are not ready to start your own business, girl. (laughs) Don't do it. Uh, what you should do is I think you'd be good at executive search because, number one, you've done recruiting. It sounds like you've been successful. You are personable, but you mm. don't know how to do business development. You don't know how to build relationships that you'll need to understand how to do if you start your own business. So mm, why okay. not take an interim step and go into executive search? And oh, by the way, there's a firm here in town where they are more relationship focused. I didn't like recruiters because of the transactional nature I felt as an HR leader. They said, this firm is executive search. It's more relationship focused. They get business off the relationships that they build. They stay with people for a long time. You can go there and learn how to develop business, to build relationships, and that will help you when you decide to start your own company in the future. So that's exactly what I did. And the owner of the firm was so amazing. He taught me everything I know about relationship building for the purpose of business development. So not to make it spammy and scammy and transactional. And that was such amazing advice that I learned, again, through talking to people who were in the field that I wanted to pursue. So if you're an accountant, and I saw this so many times when I was both in HR and recruiting, been an accountant for my whole career. And I've decided I'm applying for your HR manager job, Jennifer. (laughs) because i like people and i've worked with people so therefore i am qualified no you're not no 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 no. you are not have you talked to an hr person do you know they don't like people
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) that is the first the first thing you learn is an hr person people are terrible i'm kidding but The work needs to be done in talking to people who have done the roles that you're interested in or that you think you're interested in so that you can start to say, what skills do I bring to the table? What do I need to develop? What made them successful in making the transitions that they made? And you'll be like me, probably. You'll find something like I did. I would have never in a million years gone from being a VP of HR to an executive search consultant because I didn't think that was something I would ever want to do. It took people telling me how that could help me grow and that I would be good at it potentially with the skills that I brought to the table for me to even consider that as an interim step to what I thought I ultimately wanted to do. And it was the right decision. for
1: I love that so much. Thank you for your answer. And you've been a fantastic guest. I'm just going to ask my final segment here is going to be how not to enjoy or unenjoy uh, enjoy
0: <laughs> how to not enjoy, <laughs>
1: <laughs> how to not enjoy your HR manager. That doesn't sound good how do we not annoy our HR manager? Let's focus on the resume first and foremost. I own a resume writing company, so this is my bread and butter. I'm obsessed with resumes and I think job seekers are interested in this too. But what are the worst things that job seekers can do in regards to their resume that would just annoy an HR manager?
0: Well, back up to the beginning, apply for a job that you show no
1: previous qualifications or experience for. (laughs) I heard that before too, several times. Yeah.
0: That you have not demonstrated on your resume in some way why. Again, I am for people wanting to make career moves, but how do you demonstrate that if you want to move from accounting to HR, that you have joined the local HR association. You've volunteered to serve on a committee there. You're doing mock interviews at the local college to help students understand how to perform better in interviews. Show me on your resume that you're actually developing and learning skills that apply to the roles that you want. If you're entry level or relatively inexperienced, again, what can you do to demonstrate leadership, communication, the basic skills of the jobs that you want to apply for? I often share the story. I was an executive mentor to students in one of the local universities here when I started at at, the executive recruiting company because I needed to be out there building relationships. So I signed up to be an executive mentor. My first mentee junior in college they assigned, you know, you got to go into a database and pick several that you'd want to potentially interview or mentor based off of their resumes. And, mm-hmm. and they would do the algorithm and assign somebody to. I picked her because I'm a horse person and she had on her resume that she had volunteered at a therapeutic writing center. So I'm like, good enough. come. on. <laughs> because she was, you know, junior in college. She didn't have much of a work history. So I ended up working with her. She was the incoming student body president of the university and had never had a real job. She'd done some volunteer experiences. She was amazing, fantastic, personable, great communicator, obviously, incoming student body president. Her volunteer experiences were amazing. She at the time had led a team of volunteers to go down post-Hurricane Katrina to help rebuild New Orleans. She volunteered at the local therapeutic riding center and ran the program there. She had multiple volunteer opportunities, including on campus organizations where she was already showing leadership. She was super impressive. In between her junior and senior years, she wanted to get an internship so she could stay in Cincinnati because she was the incoming student body president. So, We put together her resume with this amazing volunteer experience, and I sent it to people in my network that I had grown as a result of the networking that I was doing. And I, in all my years as an executive search consultant, never got the level of response that I got back to Maggie's resume. Everybody wanted to talk to her. And one of my friends was the speechwriter at the time for A.G. Lafley, who was the the CEO of Procter & Gamble, which is in Cincinnati. He passed it along because she was a PR major. He passed the resume along to his friend who was the speechwriter. He said he wanted to meet Maggie and they did meet, had lunch, and he told her, he said, we've done our recruiting for this year and your school, unfortunately, is not one of our recruiting universities, but I was really impressed with your resume and I'd like to stay in touch with you. Fast forward a year later, Maggie got a job at Procter & Gamble in sales, not in PR, she was very successful. And today she runs an Edward Jones financial advisory company. So
1: Let's go. I yeah. say all
0: of that to say Maggie got a degree in PR, but Maggie on her resume before she even had real job experience was so impressive with her volunteer activities, with her leadership, yes. with her communication skills. So that is what I think the secret to a good resume is how are you demonstrating the skills? Not responsible for achieved, you know, yes, we like numbers, percentages. And I always tell people your resume should tell me what was better about the workplace that you left than it was before you got there. I love tell me that. that story on your resume. I want to know what things you did that made the job and the workplace better. So that usually involves numbers, increases, decreases, if that's the right thing to do. But also show me the skills. If you know the job, like I said, if you're applying for human resources, know what are the core skills that are necessary and the core functions of HR, and then demonstrate how you've done those things. I got my first job in HR. I talked my way into it. I had a a Mm -hmm. management degree because the university that I went to didn't offer a, at the time it was called personnel. I took one class in industrial relations and the rest were management and marketing. My first job out of college was a bank auditor because I moved to the county and Georgia that had the highest unemployment in the state and had just had three factories closed. So I took the only job I could get, which was the worst fit ever for me. Bank auditor Jennifer does not go together, but I did it. And I did it for a year and a half. And I saw a job opening, or actually I didn't see it, in my church group. Someone I didn't know that well announced she had just, you know, they were going to have a baby and she was going to leave her job. And she was the HR manager at a small company in town. And I like said, pick me, pick me. (laughs) And she said, send me your resume and I'll turn it over to my boss and he's doing the interviews. And on my resume, I highlighted one of the functions of a bank auditor. We were the people who would drive up to the local bank branches at like eight o'clock in the morning and walk in and go We're here to help, you know, and everybody hated us because that means they're going to spend three days with people counting cash and trying to find things they've done wrong, et cetera. Only one function of a bank audit was auditing the personnel files in these small bank branches. So it might be, you know, 10 or 12 personnel files that the bank manager would keep. I always volunteered for that assignment. So when I did my resume for that HR manager job and when I interviewed, man, you would have thought I was the expert in personnel. (laughs) I made it yeah. sound like I yeah. knew everything there was to know about HR because of this specific activity that I'd done in my yes. current job. You know, yes. So how can you highlight things that you're doing that fit with the role on your resume and certainly in your interviews? Yeah. Because more than likely, you've done something that is... Is if you're obviously if you're interested in this type of role, you've probably done some things that have guided that interest. And how can you show that on your resume? So don't annoy your HR manager by having a generic resume that doesn't tell me anything that makes you stand out from anyone else or why you'd be the best fit for this job.
1: Oh my gosh. I love that answer. The question was framed very negatively, but you spun that into such a positive story to show how you can impress your HR manager and end up getting a job even if the odds are stacked against you by not having that experience. So I think that's fantastic. And it reminds me of a job seeker that I had worked on her resume and they had no experience working within music and they were looking to make a transition. But at the very back of their resume was this volunteer experience they had for South by Southwest, which is a really large music festival here in Austin. And the idea is, hey, how can we take that experience and push it to the very top of your resume so people can actually see those experiences? Mm-hmm. And just because it isn't paid experience doesn't mean it's not valid experience that 100%. can end up pushing you to get more interviews. So I've heard time and time again of how that technique, if you can call it that, has helped job seekers to make the transition they want.
0: Yeah. So. I mean, I said how many times did I talked to somebody who said they wanted to work in HR again, because that was my background, but it works for every other profession as well. And I'd say, are you a member of the Greater Cincinnati HR Association? Have you ever been to one of their meetings? No. Well, start there. Go meet some HR people. <laughs> Show up and learn the content they're learning from volunteer to be on a committee so that you can show leadership and develop relationships. And then you probably won't be cold applying for jobs. You'll get a job because one of those people will recommend you for it.
1: Yes, I love that. Get active. So I'll ask my famous tattoo question here in a second that all of our listeners know about.
0: I already know what I want. (laughs) I don't know the question, but I know what I want.
1: (laughs) Jennifer will be thrown off because maybe I'll ask it in a weird way that will just throw you off guard. Oh, but I wanted to hear about your podcast and why or what really inspired you to start getting it kicked up again. I just listened to your last episode about Gen Z in the workplace. I thought that was amazing. So just if you can share with our listeners what they can get from listening to your podcast.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of one of those people that if I start doing something and I enjoy it that are, are, you know, like I started listening or reading blogs in 2008, I discovered blogs when I started the recruiting firm, I was trying to find ways to learn about being a recruiter. So I started reading blogs, which were relatively kind of new then. So in 2008, I said, I'm going to start my own blog because I'm enjoying blogs and learning from other people. So I'll do the same. So same with the podcast. I started, you know, blogs became less and less. And I started listening to podcasts in probably 2013, 14. And now that's all I do if I'm driving or cleaning or cooking is listen to podcasts. And I get so much value from that. I think it was 2018. I said, I want to start my own podcast, you know, to share Again, some of the smart people that I knew and their stories about how they were making an impact at work and life. I like your tagline that you mentioned in the beginning. Mine was, uh, help you build a career that you love and a life that matters. Um, And that's still, still the tagline of the podcast. I took some time off, you know, in the pandemic, I, like a lot of people, had to go refigure out my life and business and a lot of things. And podcasts just became something that wasn't where I needed to focus and restarted it in early August of this year, 2022, with more of the goal of both interviews with interesting people about, you know, who are probably doing something to impact the future of work, but also... As I have evolved in my own listening taste, I like listening to a lot of solo podcasts where someone just teaches me something in 10 or 15 minutes. So that's my goal. I want to help leaders with tools, tips, and resources to make more of an impact at work and to serve those that they love and lead so that they can build careers that they love and live lives that matter.
1: I love that. And the name of that podcast for your listeners is Impact Makers Podcast. You can look this up just by following the description we have on this episode right here. Just scroll down. If you're not jogging or driving, just take a pause and go check that out when you get the chance. And I believe, Jennifer, you're also leaving us with a resource that we can check out if we are in our job search, correct?
0: Yeah, I have the most popular resource on my website. It's you can find it at jennifermcclure.net slash pbworkbook, and I'm sure you'll link to that in the show notes as well. It's a several pages of a workbook that you can go through some exercises to help you really define your personal brand and come up with a personal brand statement that you could use as your LinkedIn tagline. If you desire an objective statement on your resume, I don't know if, if you're a pro or con on that, Chris, but a good way for you to hone in on what your personal brand is and how you want to communicate that.
1: Well, thank you for sharing. And I'll ask you right here just to round it all out. If you could tattoo one encouraging message for every career warrior out there applying for a job, what would that message be?
0: Oh, well, that shot my answers down there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Is there <laughs> a reason to ask that?
0: <laughs> oh, a phrase. Yes. You can always do something different. That's the phrase. We'll stop there. I don't need a book on my body. <laughs> okay, yeah. Let's be clear that... You don't, you probably shouldn't and won't be doing the same thing in your career forever. And when it becomes not inspiring, not challenging, or you see other opportunities elsewhere that you want to go pursue, especially in today's environment, go pursue that, but do the work to get there. Don't just make the leap and then realize that's not what you want to do. Do what we've talked about in this podcast. Talk to people who are doing that job make sure that you get a good resume writer. And I'm not just saying this because it's a resume writing company that that does this podcast. I gave my son for his college graduation, a resume uh, LinkedIn profile package. Now, could I have written it for him? Maybe. But I also know the value of a good professionally written resume to draw out what works in today's environment. So never, ever be settling For what you're doing in your work. There's opportunities to grow and change in your career. I mean, I'm in my late fifties. I own two companies, but I never say that this is what I'll do for the rest of my life because I've done four or five different things in my career and who knows what I'll get interested in next. I love what I'm doing. So today I'm not looking to make any changes, but going back into corporate America might be a challenge because I do like working in pajamas.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Malcolm, (laughs) you hear
0: that? Malcolm, I'm doing just fine in my pajamas. (laughs) but I'm always open to, I want to make sure I'm, I spend so much time and energy on work that I'm doing something that is fulfilling and meaningful, not only for me, but one of my personal values is that I want to make an impact in the world. So if you're today sitting in a job that you're like, I hate it. I mean, I've been there even in HR, which was a job I loved for almost 20 years. The day that Mm -hmm. someone walked into my office, which was at the end of the hall. And I was the vice president of HR. They walked into my office with the you know, an employee relations complaint. You know, somebody looked at me wrong. They smell funny. They scratched my car. You know, all the, all the fun things that HR gets to do. You know, I remember just looking at that person and not listening to really what they were saying because I was so annoyed that they had walked past four directors of HR <laughs> to get to me <laughs> that I shouldn't be having to do these things. And that sounds awful and it probably was, but it was also a very good signal to me that I was burnt out. Employee relations had been one of my strong suits. It was something I enjoyed, something I was good at. But when I realized that it was something that I didn't like, I was angry about, I started saying, okay, when we sell the company, I don't think I want to look for other HR jobs. I think I want to start my own company. Thankfully, I was smart enough to hire a coach to help me with that, which then redirected me again into executive search first. But I think it's important to pay attention. If you're not happy, don't settle. There's opportunities out there, where you can create them. Maybe that's a better tattoo. If you're not happy, don't settle. Create your own opportunity.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I always ask that question because it forces our guests to be concise, but then
0: And then I gave you a 10-minute answer.
1: <laughs> well, that's a that's a huge body tattoo. You can fill out your entire body with that one, but I love that. You're never stuck. And I've had moments and you know, I've had the same job for the last 8 years and I'm not going to lie. And I've even told this to my employees. I mean, there have been moments in my time where I was like, this isn't my dream job anymore because I feel like I've been stuck doing the things that I don't want to do or having the lifestyle that I don't enjoy. But even though I felt in that moment like I was stuck and that this is going to be my forever, it wasn't the case. You know, I made the conscious decision to say, I don't want to do this aspect of my job anymore. I want to learn another aspect, which is different aspects of marketing, which I love now. And I want to learn how to get better at those and do them. And so I think it is an evolution. And so I appreciate you sharing the stories that bring light to that. I think a lot of people need to hear that, especially if you're a job seeker and you don't like what you've been doing. So just can't thank you enough for being on this podcast and doing this with me. I think that you are just a fantastic guest. And yeah, just thank you.
0: Well, thanks for sitting up front. That's good advice to leave us with. When you go to a conference or event and you're looking to build relationships, sit up front behind the rowdy speakers. Go sit behind the people that look like they're having a good time (laughs) and try to find a way to get them to invite you to join them.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I can't believe it. I sat in the front because I just wanted a good view of the speaker, but it did attract me to you. And I don't remember his name. I think it was like Steve, Steve Steve Brown. Brown. Yes. Oh, my gosh. It's just such charismatic personalities. And so... Mm -hmm. think getting involved and getting, you know, I would recommend it wholeheartedly to go out and and meet those people. So
0: yeah, the front's where it's at. People don't sit in the back. (laughs)
1: Exactly. Yeah. So thanks so much for joining us in the podcast today. I hope you have a great rest of your day, Jennifer. All right. Thank you. It's time for you to get noticed, create change and grow your influence. Don't waste any time. Subscribe to this podcast and help us get the word out by leaving a review.